Welcome back to Northway's D Group Podcast. I'm your host, Rodney Mills. And what an honor it has been to be your host on this journey of apprenticeship. This is our last session together here on the podcast, though you're likely going to have much more journey to go with your D Group in the weeks ahead. To wrap things up, I want to pick up a bit from where we left off in our last session. Hopefully you've mastered the kingdom gospel and are able to share it clearly and in a compelling way. Knowing the good news, the gospel of the kingdom should be our primary motivation for living our lives. It is the wonderful life that Jesus has invited us into. But specifically, as his disciples, his apprentices, he has a critical assignment for all of us here today. Today, my final challenge to you is to join his slow revolution. Take us back to our very beginning text. Uh, Matthew 28 was our opening premise, and you might remember me saying that Jesus calls us to be his disciples so that we will lead others to be his disciples. We painstakingly studied the life of Christ and, and how he interacted with his 12 disciples to discover what it means to apprentice our own lives to him. From his priority, even as a child teaching and debating with scholars in the temple, being about the Father's business to that last weekend in the upper room in the Garden of Gethsemane, Gethsemane, we've seen life patterns and interactions and extraordinary clarity and focus on His part to do the will of the Father. Preaching the gospel of the kingdom, showing the world the Father's heart for all people, and perhaps most of all, equipping a team that could carry on His work. The life of Christ is our primary example and model for how we are to live and lead our own lives. And so, Jesus was tried and executed, buried and resurrected. And just in case the disciples were unclear, like a bookend to his original call to come learn how to fish for people, Jesus gave them what has become known as the Great Commission. It's like he said, I've done my part. I've shown you what to do and how to do it. Now I'm giving you your official commission. Basic training is over, boys. Now it's time to get after it. Here it is in Matthew 28, verse 16. You know it well, probably. The eleven disciples traveled to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had directed them. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Jesus came near and said to them, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything I've commanded you. And remember... I'm with you always to the end of the age. And so, I want to take this all-important commissioning of Christ and look at it very, very closely. This is our rally cry, friends. These are our marching orders. So pull up your chair real close and don't miss a thing here. Now, while this great commission is a, a bit detailed, there is really only one primary objective, and I'm sure you can see that. The primary assignment Jesus gives us is actually to make disciples. Yeah, there are other activities listed here, and we're going to look at those closely as well, but they are simply steps in a process toward the objective, to make disciples. For all the wonderful things we do as a church, from ministering to the least of these, 
to fun fairs, to even holding gospel crusades, we fall short of our actual assignment if we don't make disciples. So to be clear, here's a definition for us, one you need to remember. Discipleship, or making disciples, discipleship is the spirit-empowered process of reorienting people to the life they were meant to live as revealed in the life and teachings of Christ. And the Great Commission is our mandate to make this our life's work. This is why we exist. Never lose sight of it. We exist for this mission, make disciples. But of course, there are some specific action steps included in the Great Commission, so let's take a look at those. First, we have the clear instructions to go. It's such a small word, two little letters, go. But in light of all that we've studied in this series, we know that it has so much meaning. Go. It means all of this. It means start, get after it, get out of the barracks. It, of course, means keep going, don't stop. And as such, I've heard it described to mean as you go. So certainly, it means to set things in motion, to not stand still, but to just start doing what Jesus taught you to do. Go. Some people get it backwards. They think being a Christian is, is primarily about going to church, when Jesus says it's primarily about going into the world. I think that's worth saying again. Some, some people think that being a Christian is primarily about going to church, when Jesus says it's primarily about going into the world. And we're going to come back to that in a few moments. I'll show you just what I mean. But there are other implications in this word go as well. For example, it could mean don't hide. Don't be secret about it. Go public. In fact, Jesus says this very thing in his discussion about salt and light we talked about just a few weeks ago. Here's Pastor Peterson's rendition of what Jesus meant about being the light of the world. Here's another way to put it. You're here to be light, bringing out the God colors in the world. God's not a secret to be kept. We're going public with this, as public as a city on a hill. If I make you light bearers, you don't think I'm going to hide you under a bucket, do you? I'm putting you on a light stand. Now that I put you there on a hilltop, on a light stand, shine. Keep open house. Be generous with your lives. By opening up to others, you'll prompt people to open up with God, this generous Father in heaven. We're going public, as public as a city on a hill. Now, we also see another implied command attached to the word go. It assumes that we are taking the message with us as we go. We're here to be light. We are light bearers. And that means that as we go, we carry the light of the gospel message with us. Now, in fact, there are other renditions of the, of the Great Commission in a few other places. Towards the end of Mark, we see, Then Jesus said to them, Go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation. So in a very true sense, preaching the gospel means to inv invite people to become disciples of Christ. It is presenting the good news and then calling them to action. Luke's implied version of the Great Commission introduces a different word other than preaching. He said, you can see now how it's written that the Messiah suffers, rises from the dead on the third day, and then a total life change to the forgiveness of sins is proclaimed in his name to all nations. Jesus says the message would be proclaimed. The invitation is for repentance or an invitation to a whole new mindset, metanoia, a new way of thinking that leads to a whole new way of living. And so when Jesus says go, the broader implication is to go with the gospel message emblazoned on your heart. Let it burn so brightly that it can't be hidden. And look, this was Jesus' plan all along. His long-term strategy for his revolution was to train up his disciples to carry out his mission. 
So put on your seatbelt for a few moments and listen to this. You might want to print out the transcript so you can see these scriptures later because there's a bunch of them. First of all, remember that the Great Commission is really a partnership with Jesus in his primary mission. This is the starting point. And what was that mission? Luke says clearly, for the Son of Man came to seek and to save those who were lost. He came to rescue the disoriented, to put them on the path to life that they were meant to live. Not just to forgive their sins, but to give them abundant life. Life now in the kingdom if they will entrust their whole lives to Jesus. So that's his mission, to rescue the disoriented. Now watch his long-term plan unfold now. Mark says that he appointed 12 whom he also named apostles to be with him to send them out to preach. You see, once they'd been with him, watching him work, getting familiar with his work, Mark says, so they went out and preached that people should repent. They went out. He sent them. Luke says that eventually there were actually many others that got involved. In Luke chapter 10, we read, after this, the Lord appointed 72 others. And he sent them ahead of him in pairs to every town and place where he himself was about to go. He told them, the harvest is abundant, but the workers are few. Therefore, pray to the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into his harvest. Now go. I'm sending you out like lambs among wolves. So we see that it wasn't just the 12 disciples that Jesus called to go. There were at least 72 others. And perhaps more importantly here is that Jesus said, guys, we need more workers. Pray for more disciples. Now go. I'm sending you out. Then, having spent three and a half years seeking and saving, equipping and sending out his apprentices, he's nearing the point of his betrayal and crucifixion. In some of his final words in prayer, he says to the Father, as you sent me into the world, I also have sent them into the world. In other words, the mission you sent me to do, I'm sending them to do it as well. And that's why I like to spell the word commission differently with just one M. His mission is our mission. It's our co-mission. And then, following his resurrection, he appears to the disciples in a locked room to repeat these words to the disciples themselves. Jesus said to them, peace be to you. As the Father has sent me, I also send you. Now, just in case you might want to argue that these commissionings were just for those original apostles, watch what happens as the church gets going full steam in the book of Acts. In chapter 8, we see that Saul agreed with putting Stephen to death. And on that day, a severe persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem. And all except the apostles were scattered throughout the land of Judea and Samaria. It's interesting, isn't it? The apostles stay in Jerusalem. But watch this in verse 4. But the believers who were scattered preached the good news about Jesus wherever they went. I love the way Pastor Peterson puts it. Forced to leave home base, the followers of Jesus all became missionaries. Wherever they were scattered, they preached the message about Jesus. What were they doing? They were simply all in on what Jesus said to do. He said, go. (laughs) I told you this little word go was powerful. So we've got it clear now. Go and preach. Invite people into radical life change with the gospel. And so, in the process of making disciples, which remember is our ultimate objective presented here in the Great Commission, the next step is to baptize them. Water baptism is such a powerful expression. It's the means by which Jesus says a person publicly expresses their faith. We talked about that a little bit last week. We have substitute walking the aisle or checking a box on a response card But Jesus says baptism is the public statement. And notice the progression here. Go, preach, baptize. 
Now, baptism doesn't save a person, but you just read the book of Acts. Every time someone's baptism is mentioned, it's immediately after they've put their confidence in Christ as the leader of their lives. But there's another dimension I'd like to briefly mention here. Notice we are to baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Now get this. This is so powerful. Some of you have heard me say this before. Whenever you see the phrase, in the name, it is a symbol of the very nature or character or the very actual presence of the person to whom you're referring. It is representative of the very reality of that person. People in biblical times would have understood this completely, even if it's a bit foreign to us. So whenever you come across the phrase, in the name of, like in the name of the Lord, just substitute words like nature or character or even presence, and the meaning's going to start coming into clearer focus. So perhaps alongside actual water baptism, another truth that Jesus may be assigning to us by saying baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit is something like this. Immerse them into Trinitarian reality lead them to fully understand and experience the invitation to full relational fellowship with God. We've talked about this before, inviting those who are hurting and wounded, and especially those who are disoriented, to experience Trinitarian reality, a community of agape love. And how would we go about doing that? Well, that's our final step in the process, perhaps the most important. Train them to obey my teachings, or more literally, train them to observe all that I've commanded. The message paraphrases disciple-making this way, and I love this. Go out and train everyone you meet, far and near, in this way of life, and then instruct them in the practice of all I have commanded you to do. There's a big thing to notice here. Jesus doesn't say, teach them my commandments. He doesn't just say, make sure they know everything I taught. He says, teach them to obey, to observe, instruct them in, in the practice of all that I've taught. You see, look, the goal is not just transmission of information, but of total life transformation. Let me say that again. The goal is not the transmission of information, but a total life transformation. We don't just tell disciples what to do. We go out of our way to show them how. And this is also why it's so important to have a mastery of the gospel accounts, to immerse yourself into the life and teachings of Christ and then put it into practice. Jesus said, anyone who listens to my teaching and follows it is wise, like a person who builds a house on a solid rock. Though the rains come in torrents and the, wa- and the floodwaters rise and the winds beat against that house, it won't collapse because it's built on a bedrock. Listen to his teachings and then follow it. Obey, observe, practice what I've taught. That's what we're doing with our disciples, helping them to use the teachings of Christ to build his kind of life in the kingdom now. Paul reiterates this need to immerse your life into the teachings of Christ. Here it is from the Amplified Version in Colossians 3. Let the spoken word of Christ have its home within you, dwelling in your heart and mind, permeating every aspect of your being. As you teach spiritual things and admonish and train one another with all wisdom, let the spoken word of Christ dwell in your heart and mind. It's so clear, isn't it? The content of our teaching is found in the spoken words of Christ training disciples for his ways to permeate every aspect of our being. Now, perhaps you think this sounds really challenging, and it's best to hand off this part of the task to the professionals. But remember, this whole commission is for each of us. Jesus calls us to be his disciples so that we will lead others to be his disciples. That's just how it works. We're called to provoke one another to love and good deeds. 
You don't have to be a vocational pastor like me. You do not have to be a trained theologian. You simply need to apprentice your life to Jesus, live it out as a bright light shining on a hill, and then lead others to do the same. In fact, this commandment to teach them to obey everything I commanded is the impetus for this whole D-group strategy. I personally had never been a part of a church that had a specific strategic method for doing this, and that's why we're doing what we're doing with you. Remember, discipleship or making disciples is the spirit-empowered process of reorienting people to the life they were meant to live as revealed in the life and teachings of Christ. It is a life of learning from Jesus Christ how to live in the kingdom of God now as he himself did. Which brings us to our final point. Jesus gives us this great commission by the authority given to him from the Father. He's only hours away from his ascension into heaven. And yet, he concludes the Great Commission with these words, I am with you, even to the end of the age. I mean, what an astounding statement. Now, physically, he would no longer be with them, so in what ways is Jesus with us? Well, as we've learned, certainly, the presence of Christ is with us if we abide in him. One more time, let's go back to John and review Jesus' final address, his commencement speech, John, the 15th chapter, beginning with verse 1. I am the true vine, and my father is the gardener. And so he sets up that metaphor as the vine. Here it is, verse 4. Remain in me, and I in you. Just as a branch is unable to produce fruit by itself unless it remains on the vine, neither can you unless you remain in me. I am the vine, you're the branches. The one who remains in me, and I in him, produces much fruit, because you can do nothing without me. So as we stay connected to Christ, as we abide in him, or as we've mentioned, as we make ourselves at home in him, he promises to make his home in us. He will remain with us and in us even to the end of the age. But notice the result we get from this abiding. We will produce much fruit. Verse 8 even reiterates it. My father is glorified in this, that you produce much fruit and prove to be my disciples. Jesus, using the word fruit, is a a pretty big and broad term, but we can deduce that he meant at least a couple of things. First would be Christ-like character. That's the kind of fruit we need, as in the fruit of the Spirit, and more specifically, the fruit of love. In fact, here in chapter 15, verse 9, Jesus even says, abide in my love. So as we stay connected to his love, it naturally flows through us to others. So that's the kind of fruit we need, character. Love, joy, peace, patience, and kindness, and all of that good fruit. And then secondly, the much fruit that he's speaking of here is actually more disciples. In verse 16, he says, you didn't choose me, I chose you. I appointed you to go and produce fruit and that your fruit should remain. He's even using that go language like in the Great Commission. In the verse we read in Mark just a few moments ago, he appointed 12 to go and preach. But regardless of exactly what he means about the fruit, the point is that if we abide in him, he promises to abide in us, to remain in us, to be with us even to the end of the age. Ah, but wait, there's more. Another way Jesus stays with us even to the end of the age is through his Holy Spirit. Once again, we go back to John 14, verse 15, and he says, if you love me, you will keep my commands and I will ask the Father and he will give you another counselor to be with you forever. He is the spirit of truth. 
The world is unable to receive him because it doesn't see him or know him. But you do know him because he remains with you and will be in you. The Holy Spirit of truth remains in us. The counselor will be with us forever. And look at what he does in our lives. Verse 25, I've spoken these things to you while I remain with you, but the counselor, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and remind you of everything I've told you. You see, the Holy Spirit is with us forever as a teacher and reminder of all that Jesus taught. But he's more than just a spiritual presence and teacher. You see, after his death and resurrection, Jesus is giving his final instructions. And at the end of his gospel account, Luke records, and look, this is Jesus talking, I'm sending you what my father promised. As for you, stay in the city until you are empowered from on high. And Dr. Luke elaborates on Jesus' words in the first chapter of Acts, that while he was with them, he, can, he commanded them not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait for the Father's promise, which, he said, you've heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit in a few days. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the end of the earth. Look, friends, Jesus has not left us to fend for ourselves. He is with us. Everything you need to succeed is found by abiding in him, abiding in his words, in his love, and in his spirit. The spirit will even remind you of all the things Jesus has spoken. He is in us, and perhaps most importantly, he is empowering us. For what purpose? To be his witnesses, to bear much fruit, to go into all the world, to preach, to baptize, and to train, to make disciples. If you want to know how in the world all of us are here today, still talking about this great commission some 2,000 years after Jesus left, how his tiny little movement in a faraway country grew to the billions of people that have followed the teachings of a little carpenter from Galilee, it's because a small band of sold-out followers took this great commission seriously. This was Jesus' plan all along investing his energy into the development of his apprentices and then commissioning and empowering them to do the same. And so now, friends, we have a choice. Followers of Christ have always had a choice. You see, it's so easy to get distracted, to allow ourselves to dilute and distort what being a Christian is all about. But right now, I join with Jesus in declaring this great commission. I raise his banner high. Join this slow revolution. You see, it took Jesus three and a half years to develop his apprentices and turn the work over to them. You see, here's a brief overview of that apprenticeship. How about we just summarize everything that we've talked about for the last many months? He challenged them to be captured by his kingdom vision, that pearl of great price. He gave his disciples a priority in charting their course for life when he said, Seek first the kingdom. Steep your life in God reality, God initiative, and God provisions. He brought people to a point of decision. Take up your cross, he said. Declare your allegiance. Repent and believe. Follow and obey. Placing your confidence in Jesus as the leader of your life. Drop your nets and just begin following in the Jesus way. He invited them to apprentice their lives to his, taking on the easy yoke. He said, walk with me, work with me, watch how I do it. He assured them that they would experience a whole new kind of freedom by living out his truth for themselves especially agape love, showing compassion to the hurting and disoriented and showing loving forbearance and forgiveness, even with our enemies. Lead your life in the way that Jesus would lead if he were you. He challenged them to cast off every weight, to not be distracted by the cares of this life or the lure of wealth. Live freely and lightly, he says. Live the unencumbered life. 
He lived out a, a rhythm of spiritual practices, developing a rule of life, showing the way of reformation of the heart through prayer and solitude, fasting, and immersing our minds with Scripture. He taught us to devote ourselves to the fellowship of one another, living day in and day out in the company of his special circle of friends, challenging us to join with brothers and sisters in Christ to provoke one another toward love and good deeds. And all along, he was teaching them their actual role of life, inviting them to join the sacred order of the towel. He said at all times and in all places, be different by embracing servanthood. And finally, as we've heard in this session, he said that if we stick with this, living it out day by day, we would bear much fruit. That by the power of the Holy Spirit, influencing others by overcoming evil with good, serving the least of these and pointing the way to Jesus. His call is for us to become his trail guide in the lives of others, reorienting them to the life they were meant to live. Go make disciples. And so now, it's your turn to keep it moving forward. You've learned so much over the last few months. You've grown in so many ways. And the reality is you've got all the training you need to start your own D group. Your current D group may continue meeting for a while, but in the weeks and months ahead, we're challenging you to begin preparing yourself to lead, to gather two or three other apprentices of Jesus and lead them down the disciples' trail. You'll have the same tools and resources that your leader had, and more importantly, you'll have the Holy Spirit empowering you and reminding you of all that Jesus taught. You can do this, friend. You've truly got what it takes. Ah, oh, what a privilege and honor it has been to share these powerful Jesus lessons with you. I'm really praying for you. Let me tell you, next to Jesus, I am your biggest fan. I believe in you. So get out there and let's get after it. Go with God and go make a difference in the world.